I encourage you, if you don't have your Bible, to go get your Bible if it's not too far away. And uh, keep it open as we study a wonderful, remarkable story tonight from Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. We started a series at Grace Fellowship uh, a few weeks ago. And in the providence of God, um, I believe Daniel has a lot for us uh, this evening once again. So we'll pick it up where we left off at Grace Fellowship a couple of weeks ago tonight at Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. This is a, uh, a story, uh, but the remarkable thing about this story is it's a true story. The true story really happened. Uh, so let's give our full attention to it. Daniel 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. 
But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire came upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let's pray and ask God's blessing. Our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is your word for us tonight. Would you use it to strengthen our faith? Would you use it to create faith? Lord, if there is anyone listening, watching tonight who does not know you in a saving way, in a personal way, would you speak personally and profoundly and directly to them by your Spirit? Would you open the floodgates of salvation for them? For those listening and watching who belong to you, your children, your sheep, your precious ones, would you use this message to build us up? Would you use this message to fortify our faith and to to equip us for every good work that you have established? Do this, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, every year in my hometown of Zealand, uh, there's a Memorial Day parade followed by a cer- ceremony uh, in uh, the cemetery, the town cemetery, and uh, names of the veterans are read off, followed by the retelling of a particular story. 
a story of usually one of our own uh, young men who uh, grew up in Zealand, whose parents uh, worked in town, uh, who lived uh, on our streets, oftentimes who attended our churches, who then went off uh, to war to give uh, the ultimate uh, sacrifice for our freedom. And I've been attending these ever since I was a, a little kid, a little boy, as long as I could remember, and, and they always leave a lasting impression on me. Uh, but why do they resonate with me so much? Uh, it, it's not just because the story is full of, of courage and self-sacrifice, uh, but it's because the story is told of one of our own boys. The story is told of one of our own young men a young man from our own town, one of our own heroes. I think that's why it resonates. And I think for those listening first to the book of Daniel in those post-exilic communities, I think that's how they would have heard this as well. As Jewish fathers would have read this story to their children, they would have said, now listen children, this is your family history. These were our young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were of us. They were from our town. And look at how the Lord used them. And it would have encouraged them. It would have uh, given them an example of how to live fruitfully and fearlessly and, and faithfully in these uncertain times. And now for us. For us, many of us are so familiar with this story that I think it's easy to read it as uh, perhaps a history book, uh, but as not relevant to our situation or our context. Or on the other hand, because of our cultural and geographical distance, this is two and a half millennia later, perhaps to read it almost as if it's a fairy tale before bed, a nice bedtime story. But here's what I want you to see. This is our story this is a true story that really happened in time and space, in history, and this is the church's history. This is the church's story. And the same God who rescued these young men in that place rescues today, sustains, and builds up His church and is with us. So I want to look at chapter 3 this evening, uh, beginning with Nebuchadnezzar's pompous move. His pompous move. This tower, this 90-foot-tall tower overshadowing the text introduced to us in the beginning of chapter 3 comes against the backdrop of chapter 2 uh, where the king has a dream and he uh, can't sleep because he can't make sense of it. And so he calls his interpreters to him, his cabinet to him, and he says, guys, you need to uh, tell me the contents of the dream and then you need to interpret it for me, uh, but nobody could. And so he sends out a, a death edict uh, for all those who would fall in this camp, which included Daniel. Daniel hears of it and, and Daniel says, um, I can interpret it if the Lord reveals it to me. I believe that he can. I believe that he will. And so he calls upon his friends to pray and God reveals Nebuchadnezzar's dream to Daniel. Daniel then tells the king uh, the content of the dream and the meaning of the dream. It too included this image. Head made of gold, arms and chest made of silver, 
middle and thighs made of bronze, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. The head represented Nebuchadnezzar and the nation of the Babylonians. The other metals then would be other nations, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans who would follow the Babylonians and usurp them in power. And during the final one, during the days of the Romans, a stone would emerge. And the stone would crush this image to a million pieces. And when that grow and develop into a, a gigantic mountain, that stone, of course, refers to King Jesus, the Rock of Ages, and the King whose kingdom came when Jesus came upon the scene. You need to see this, uh, that this act of building this 90-foot statue was an act of pure defiance on the part of the king. He was playing chess with God. Nebuchadnezzar was challenging God to a duel. It's also interesting to note in verse 1 where it was that this uh, statue uh, was built. It was set up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. That matters uh, because this is the location for the Tower of Babel. It's the same location. And to Daniel's first readers, they would have, I think, immediately made the connection between the two. There's also a literary clue in the text that tells us that Nebuchadnezzar is up to something, that he's trying to challenge God, he's trying to defy God. We're told seven times that the image was set up specifically by Nebuchadnezzar. In verses 1, 2, 3, 5, 14, and 18, seven times in all, the language is used of set up. For example, look with me at verse 3. It's mentioned two times. Verse 3, then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It's mentioned seven times. Why is this important? Because in chapter 2, Daniel says the exact same thing about the living God in his prayer. Daniel chapter 2. In verse 20 and 21, Daniel answered and said, after God revealed the dream to him, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. There it is. Nebuchadnezzar was trying to have a contest with a living God. Just like the Tower of Babel, the king had two goals in mind, a great name and a united kingdom. That was the same in, in the Tower of Babel days in Genesis. A great name for ourselves, and we want to keep people from dispersing. We want to keep people together. The same thing is going on here in Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar wants a great name for himself, and he wants the kingdom to come together and to pay him homage and worship and glory. And the statue that he, he makes is that catalyst, similar to uh, Mao's statue in China or Lenin's statue in what is formerly the Soviet Union. And, and people would come and, and people would be drawn together to fall down before King Nebuchadnezzar. And at first, it actually was working 
Look with me at verses 4 through 7 of this first section. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the music, they came and they fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Isn't it striking that Nebuchadnezzar had to coerce, manipulate, force people to give him worship, to worship this image, this statue. That's the nature of Satan's kingdom and the power of sin. It demands our attention and our loyalty and our allegiance, but threatens us when we don't give it what it wants. And you see, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of Satan can never give us what our hearts long for, namely peace with God and joy. How different is the God of the gospel? He calls you to worship Him tonight even. Why? Not through manipulation, not through coercion, but because He loves you. Because He's delighted to be with you and to have us come into His presence. He doesn't manipulate us to come. He actually changes our hearts so that by the power of the Holy Spirit we want to come. It is our great joy and blessing and privilege to come. We long to come and and worship the true God. In fact, in the Gospel we have the great reversal uh, reversal of Babel. The spirit of Pentecost is uniting men and women and boys and girls from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue. And he is uniting them in the cross of Jesus Christ so that we might bring him worship. This is this pompous move of King Nebuchadnezzar. He is trying to outdo God. He is shaking his fists against God. Perhaps a summary of this first section could be Psalm 2, which says the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. That then is Nebuchadnezzar's pompous move. But secondly, notice then as the story continues, boys and girls, we find the young men's gutsy stand. The young men's gutsy stand. Uh, So far, the king and and the details have been about the king and his closest men and, and those in the kingdom. And yet, suddenly, the tension reaches a fevered pitch here, uh, beginning at verse 8. Thrown into the center are Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These friends of Daniel's, you remember, were brought with Daniel to exile, uh, the brightest and the best of uh, Jerusalem. They were enrolled in the University of Babylon, and uh, they were actually promoted. They were promoted in the king's uh, uh, kingdom. But here they are brought under direct attack. Notice there are only three of them. 
when we're willing to stand up and stand out for King Jesus, it will oftentimes be lonely. And yet here they were, these young men. Would our neighbors, would the world in which we live ever accuse us of this sort of thing? As the music played and the band started, all these people flooded to this image and bowed down when told, and yet there were three standing still, refusing to bow. Listen, this is how the Chaldeans put it. Verse 12, There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Well, the king is furious. Nobody defies the king. And so he says, Is it true, verse 14, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of this music and, and, and you fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. They had a choice to make. Would they bow the knee and live, or would they defy the king and be burned alive? Now, maybe we're tempted to, to, to think, what should they have done? Boys and girls, what do you think? What should they have done? Would it have been that big of a deal if they had simply bowed the knee this one time? If God really knew uh, the sincerity of their hearts, that they didn't really mean it? Well, we know the answer, children. We know the answer. To follow Jesus means we do not bow to the kings of this world, to the idols of this culture. And I think the response that we have here by these young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is one of the most powerful, beautiful passages in all the Scriptures. Verse 16, they, said to, they say to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18, I love this, but if not, if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We have no doubt that God is able to deliver us, Yet even if he chooses not to, we still won't bow the knee. David Helm says, they do not presume that he will, but they believe that he can. They believe that he can. What makes a young man like this? What makes young men like this? Only the grace of God, only the mercy of God but I bet also an upbringing reared in the Christian faith. A mom and a dad who loved God, 
growing up under King Josiah back in Jerusalem, catechized, instructed in the ways of the Lord. I'm guessing tens of thousands of little ordinary moments of obedience where they said no to sin and yes to Jesus, yes to God, prepared them for this moment. But the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, gives us what we need when we need it. Verse 19 tells us that the face of the king was changed. Some of you know exactly what this is like. You've seen faces change, and you know exactly what's happening. There's anger, there's rage. His face was changed. He turns up the furnace seven times the normal temperature. So hot was the furnace that the men who escorted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were instantaneously killed. What a sobering picture of Jesus' words in Matthew 16, 25. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. But there's something, there's something else going on here in Daniel 3, in this context. It's not just between a, a king and three young men the greater conflict is between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. The greater conflict in Daniel 3 is between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Between God and Satan. This is why the, 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 the dramatic apex comes at the verse, uh, end of verse 15, really, where Nebuchadnezzar says to these young men, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? It's as if, it's as if he's taunting them. Who will win? Between Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king upon the earth at this time, and the God of the Jew, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Boys and girls, that's the conflict. That's the warfare. That's the enmity. What a stand these young men took. May we learn from it. May we learn from it as we're called upon each and every day to take stands for King Jesus. But this leads us then, thirdly and lastly, to a stunning, a stunning end. Not all stories have happy earthly endings. Sometimes Christians are burned. Sometimes believers are maimed. Sometimes brothers and sisters in Christ are sawn in two. This is happening all over the world today to the persecuted church where men and women, boys and girls, are killed for their faith, their profession of the gospel. And yet they're still not separated from the love of God in Jesus Christ because nothing can separate us from the love of God, not even death, not even persecution. And yet here, what happens? Verse 24, follow along. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste, he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. 
He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. A fourth. Was this an angel? Perhaps. Was this a Christophany? A pre-incarnate appearance of God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, perhaps. But either way, God enters the furnace. And the king is astonished. He's absolutely blown away. Don't let the familiarity of this message keep you from feeling the the awesomeness of what happens here. The the king is besides himself and he, he calls together his men the satraps, the prefects, the governors, his counselors. He gathers them together and together they saw that the fire, verse 27, had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. Twenty years ago, this May actually, our family had a, a devastating house fire. And what I remember uh, most is, is all the ash and the soot. Everything was impacted. E- even the, the things way back in the, the, the furthest back part of the cupboard had to be cleaned and, and, and washed. But here... Nothing was impacted. Their deliverance was complete and it was comprehensive. See, this was God's answer to Nebuchadnezzar's taunt. Who is the God who can deliver you out of my hands? This is. Psalm 2, again, instructs us. It says, He who sits in the heavens, laughs. He laughs at the feeble and failed attempts of the kings of this world to try to thwart the plans of a sovereign and almighty God. The message for the king is this, don't challenge God to a duel because you'll never win. But this was also a message to Satan. Listen to Nebuchadnezzar's own words. These are remarkable words. Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28, answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, he makes another decree. This king is all about making uh, edicts and laws. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. And then he says this, 
For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. There is no other God, he says, this is from the lips of Nebuchadnezzar, who is able to rescue in this way. Truer words could not have been spoken. Yet, he didn't even know the half of it. He didn't even know the half of it. As awesome and powerful as a display this was of the power of God and the awesomeness of God, it paled in comparison to another rescue that would happen 500 years later by the arm of God. But that rescue would not happen because of the, the, the strength or raw muscle of God but it would take place at the most stunning and surprising of places. A wooden cross. The place of weakness, the place of the curse. Where Jesus, God's own Son, would give His life as a ransom, a sacrifice for His enemies. For Jesus, there would be no rescue in the furnace. There would be no ram caught in a thicket. Ian Duguid, one of my professors, said this, when he passed through the waters, there was no one by his side. When the fire of God's wrath burned him to the core and blazed unchecked over him, he was entirely alone. There was no companion to share his burden, no angel sent to relieve his agony, no saving hand from God stretched down to preserve his faithful servant in his moment of greatest need. On the cross, the Father's face changed. from loving, tender acceptance and fellowship to wrath and forsakenness. Where the fury of God's righteous anger was hurled and heaped upon His precious only Son. Brothers and sisters and friends, Chapter 3 is about a fiery furnace. And I want you to think with me about uh, the purposes of fire. Fire either destroys or fire def refines. In the case of God's enemies, it destroyed them the moment they got near the flames. What a terrifying, sobering picture of hell. I discovered this week in my study that Jesus in Matthew 13 refers to hell as a fiery furnace. A fiery furnace. Listen, those in hell will not be annihilated. They will not cease to exist. They will not be sort of cremated. They will live consciously forever 
in a fiery furnace under the holy, everlasting wrath of the living God. No wonder the psalmist says in Psalm 2, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. If you're listening tonight to this message and you're not a Christian, you're not trusting in Jesus Christ, you're trusting in your own righteousness, if you're defying God by your ungodly lifestyle, if you're following the, the, the ways of this world and the idols of, of, of Satan himself, know this, hell will be a terrifying place where you will spend eternity If we think that the anger and the, the, the wrath and the fury of King Nebuchadnezzar is strong, it is nothing compared to God's righteous anger against our sin. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the presence of an angry God. But listen, Psalm 2 ends this way. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Blessed are all. Blessed are all. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him, in Jesus Christ. It, it's a call to Nebuchadnezzar. Not only was this the answer from God to, to Nebuchadnezzar's challenge. But God's on a mission. God's on a mission through Daniel. God's on a mission through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's on a mission through His people Israel while living in exile, while living in Babylon. They're called to live amongst them. They're called to love their neighbors well. They're called to build cities and build houses for their own flourishing in part because God has sent them there on a mission so that the Nebuchadnezzars and the people who do not, do not know God, who serve dead idols, might kiss the sun and find refuge in Jesus. If you've never found refuge in Jesus, how do you do that? You repent of your sin. And with faith, you trust that Jesus Christ has taken on all of your sin upon Himself on the cross. You rest in Him in His finished work. You flee His wrath by running to Jesus Christ. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. A promise to men and women and boys and girls, kings and poor people people all over the world. And when we do find Him to be our refuge and our strength, our righteousness, our forgiveness, we understand that there's another purpose of fire. Fire both destroys, but it also refines us. For these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, following after God, this fire refined them 
It strengthened their faith. And if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whatever is happening to you right now or around you right now, whatever is, is, is going on in your life, whatever is going on in my life, cannot ultimately destroy you. You are no longer under condemnation, but you are now under grace. Whatever circumstance, whatever trial, whatever challenge, ultimately is meant to refine us. Why? Because Jesus went all the way to death. He went all the way into the fiery furnace. And He's with you. And He's with me. Wherever you are, working all things for His glory and your good. Peter says this, 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. We're going to sing in just a moment that beautiful hymn, How Firm a Foundation. Verse 4 says this, When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. God is with us and He is for us. Praise His glorious name. Let's trust Him. Let's follow Him. Let's obey Him. Let's run to Him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the glorious reminder tonight of your precious promises, your mighty power, your glorious truth. Father, thank you for Daniel chapter 3. Thank you for the faith of these young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But Father, we thank you especially for the faithfulness of our God, the power of our God, and the grace of our God. Oh, Father, please be with us in our suffering. Teach us to depend upon you. Teach us the beauty of even participating in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Lord, you never promise us an easy life as followers of Jesus, but you do promise to be with us and to enter our suffering. And we thank you that you have suffered more than we ever will, that you went all the way to a cross. So, the, so that we might never be condemned if we belong to you. Help us, O oh Lord, to believe you and to follow you this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How firm a foundation ye saints of the Lord will be our closing hymn, verses 1 through 4. Let's sing together. <clears throat>